Welcome back for season three of the Orioles in the Know podcast. These twice monthly conversations feature Avon School Superintendent Dr. Scott Windham and special guests, students, teachers, administrators, and others. The goal is to keep you up to date with all that is taking place in Avon Schools, home of the Orioles. Thank you for tuning in to Orioles in the Know. Hello and welcome to episode number 54 of Orioles in the Know, a podcast of the Avon Community School Corporation. I'm Scott Windham, the proud superintendent of Avon Schools, and we do these podcasts to provide multiple ways for our community to stay informed of what's going on in our schools. We often cover fun and exciting topics in this podcast, and there are always a lot of great things going on in our schools. And this is one way that we highlight those. However, this is also a way that we can share important information that reaches folks who maybe can't come to a meeting to be informed. And that's what we're going to focus today on. Uh, We're going to cover a tough topic, drug use among students. This is a topic about which many of us as parents and educators aren't necessarily as informed as we probably should be, and I say that as a dad myself. As a school district, we offer parent meetings and trainings at different times, but we thought this is important enough to share in multiple ways. So I'm joined today by Krista Fay, uh, our school's mental wellness and school counseling coordinator, Sam Leahy, our chief of police, and then Chase Cotton, the community director from the Willow Center in Brownsburg. So thanks for joining me to talk about an important topic. Absolutely. Thanks. Thank you. So we've invited uh, these three individuals to be here because, number one, they're invested in safety and well-being of our students and our families and our community. Second, they're really experts uh, who approach this topic from different perspectives, police, community supports, uh, mental wellness. And so each bringing kind of a different lens, a different perspective. Krista coming as that mental wellness professional, Sam as our chief of police. And finally, Chase as a substance abuse expert and uh, someone who's been involved in our schools and supporting our communities in lots of different ways. What I'd like to do is is hopefully provide an opportunity here where members of our community get to know how they can help, how they can be informed, and, and kind of what they can do to address this issue. So, Chase, let's start with you. So talk a little bit about the Willow Center. What what does it do? What services does it provide in our community? Yeah, I'd be happy to. Uh, so the Willow Center is an outpatient substance use treatment and mental health counseling center, uh, like you mentioned, in Brownsburg, right in the heart of Brownsburg on the corner of 56th and Green Street. And what we provide is uh, sort of twofold. So on the one half, on the substance use half side of things, we provide intensive outpatient treatment. That's a program that is primarily for adults. Um, It includes nine hours of group counseling per week, as well as individual and family counseling and peer recovery support. And then there are step-down options at a lower level of care for substance use as well. On the mental health side, it's pretty typical standard therapy. So just one-on-one counseling, family counseling for things like depression, anxiety, et cetera. And on that side of things, we treat anybody over the age of 13. Um, so we do uh, also treat uh, several Avon students, and, and we've also uh, had the pleasure of providing uh, prevention education, um, both in the school setting as well as extracurricularly at the high school for parents and others. And we've had you come and do a couple of presentations over the last few years at yeah. Avon High School. and covered, you know, tough topics, but, and have had some decent turnout at those kinds of events well, absolutely. Uh, that, that, you know, that shows that our parents and our community are interested in learning more about it. But right. what are some of the topics that you've covered at the high school? Yeah. Some of the topics uh, range from something as basic as just like mental health awareness, one-on-one sort of style, um, going to more in depth to like trauma awareness and trauma informed care, what it means to be aware of trauma and how to, how to uh, react to children who are traumatized. Um, most recently, Uh, we were able to provide some education to the school nurses um, just uh, about a month and a half ago uh, for Avon as well as the rest of the county through Hendricks Regional Health uh, with very similar topics but more tuned into what can I do to help Mm -hmm. and we'll get into some of that today. 
Very good. So you mentioned mental health and kind of that connection with drug use. And so probably this this question partially bridges over to Krista a bit. Because in some cases, as adults or as students, sometimes we see that self-medication piece of a dealing with mental health right. and dealing with those through the use of, of illegal substances. Talk about how you see that specifically in students. What, what, does, what does that look like? How can parents be um, knowledgeable in addressing both of those issues? Sure. I think the first step is, is simply acknowledging the fact that over 90% of cases of substance use or substance use disorder are what we call comorbid or co-occurring with a mental health uh, struggle of some sort. Most often that's depression, anxiety, it could be post-traumatic stress disorder or similar, um, but they go hand in hand, right? Just like you said, it, it there is an element to substance use that is a negative coping strategy trying to deal with that stress. And when it comes to youth as well as adults, that is one of the number one reasons people will choose to use a substance. I think it's also important to realize that when it comes to substance use, that choice to use goes away extremely quickly. It becomes a, a, a diseased pathway in the brain within a matter of, of moments, days, weeks. Like it's it's pretty immediate. And when you um, take a look at the developing brain, which I know Krista can get more into, uh, those those changes can take place even quicker, uh, regardless of the substance. So yeah. So like you mentioned, um, with when you're looking at adolescence and um, the developing brain, there are things that happen um, for a typically developing young person that are expected as they're going through um, through a lot of those changes there, you do see um, more risk-taking behaviors. You see more impulsivity um, because that front part of the brain, the prefrontal cortex, is still working on coming online. That's still you know developing, and that's where the rational, logical thinking part um, of, of who we are happens at. Um, and But where it crosses the line, though, is while you do expect young people to have some of those things because they're figuring out who they are, and that's part of a typical adolescent development stage is that risk-taking, impulsivity, trying out new things, figuring out who they are as a person, what do they stand for, what do they like, what do they dislike, um, valuing their peer group more over their family group. That's a new change that's hard for families to kind of understand. Um, where you look for, you know, uh, that atypical piece that can make somebody more prone to maybe considering experimenting with substances or looking at is when you're seeing um, elevated pieces of that, right? So there's risk-taking behavior that's going to happen for a young person, mm -hmm. but when you start to see that increasing more. Um, and as Chase mentioned, when you're talking about a comorbidity when you have two things happening at the same time, um, young people may look towards substances as a way to self-medicate. If they are feeling very low, they may look for a substance that gives them that high. If they are feeling very anxious and stressed, they may look for a substance that helps simmer that down a little bit to kind of depress those feelings down. Um, and we talk about young people using it as a negative coping skill. Adults also use substances as negative coping skills. Yeah. Um, some of those are just more normalized and accepted when you're talking about alcohol use or cigarette use. Um, cigarettes aren't really the thing anymore now. It's more, mm -hmm. you know, people hitting vapes. But um, these are things that, you know, to a degree is normalized in our society, which makes it hard for young people mm -hmm. to determine where is that okay line at. If drinking alcohol is okay, as long as you're 21, what makes this less okay? And so um, when you have young people looking to, you know, self-medicate when they're having big feelings or struggling, you know, struggling with their um, emotional regulation, that's where you get into kind of some of those those sticky spots there. So right. when you're, one thing I always tell people to look for is, you know, you want to look for those changes. What's 
different. It is normal to see a young person pull a little bit away from their family. Yeah, and that and, isolation and, and, Right, yeah. So, so um, and when they're isolating and they're not replacing it with something else. So they may be pulling away from their family, um, but they may be spending more time with a friend group. If you see them pulling away from family and seeing them pull away from friends, hmm. that isolation is such a, a, a really scary place for our young people to get kind of stuck in that spiral of. Um, you expect kids to, you know, experiment and try different things. Maybe they don't do soccer anymore because they're switching over to track. When you see them pull away from soccer and pull away from track and they're not replacing that with something, that's when we want to kind of be noticing and I would also encourage parents to think about changes in your kid's behavior the other way. If your kid has been living in their room like a troll in the dark and all these things, and all of a sudden they're out and they're bubbly and they're relaxed, you're like, oh my gosh, I've been waiting for this. Notice that. Mm-hmm. Did they take something that has them feeling more comfortable? Hmm. You, the changes go both ways, hmm. and that's something that I always want people to attune to: is what is out of their normal. If they start to, you know, emerge from the cave incrementally in little pieces, that's okay. That I, please do. I'll take any step that you want to give me. But if that is a dramatic shift suddenly, notice that with the same level of concern that you would notice an immediate withdrawal as well. Did they take something that has them relaxed, and now they feel like they can be social? Yeah, no, that's. A- good point you know and ask those questions hey i noticed that you you know stopped you know it doesn't look like you enjoy this anymore is there something that you are interested in or can you tell me a little bit more about what's going on with young people really approaching it from a place of non-judgmental and using words like i notice i wonder kind of takes the heat off when you're having those conversations it doesn't feel like you know as a mom i'm micromanaging you or i'm all up in your business right i just i just noticed very neutrally this looks different and open the space for them and it's so hard because when the and I know from my own kids, it seemed like about middle school was where you start to see some of that pulling away mm-hmm. and you don't get as much of a response when you ask some of those questions as a parent, because mm-hmm. it's kind of age appropriate at that point to go, it was good. Yeah. It's fine. It's okay. Mm-hmm. And so trying to find the, and like you just gave some really good strategies for parents to kind of navigate. All kids are starting to kind of struggle at that age group with not wanting to share as much with mom and dad and, and some of those things, but how to find some of those tools to get things out or at least get your kids connected with other people. If, if they're not going to talk to you, at least talk to other trusted adults that maybe um, are uh, more approachable than mom and dad at that given point. And that's a huge thing too, you know, as, as a mom of a middle schooler, you know, it's tough, right? Like I would love for my kids to feel like they could open up to me about everything, but if that's not okay for them, it's really important for me to check my ego at the door because mm. this is not about me. I was already 12 and 13 and 14. I you know, been there, down there, got the t-shirt, right? Um, it's important for them to have their experiences. And if I'm not the one, can we identify people who might be, right? Because it's more important to me that you have somebody safe that you can talk to about what's going on than forcing that it has to be me, right? Um, knowing that we do have those boundaries. Like in, in my house, we joke, you know, it's safety first, safety last, safety always, and then we can do the other stuff, mm-hmm. right? Um, and if you bump into those safety boundaries, there's a conversation and there's, you know, accountability and there's learning, but I don't want kids to feel shame for making a mistake, right? Mistakes happen. That's how our brain learns. Um, and it's not just making the mistake, it's responding to the mistake. So if kids feel like they make a mistake and they're going to be shamed or excessively punished or stigmatized for making a mistake, they're not going to come tell me what happened and I'm not going to be able to support them through it. So how do I allow allow space for growth to happen um, without feeling like I'm coming down super hard on them? Yeah. 
if I could summarize what Chris is saying into a single phrase that I would encourage parents to use when something occurs, when something bad is happening or something is different and we're noticing it is what's happening versus what's wrong with you. Because we have a tendency to normalize what's wrong with you. Mm-hmm. And that's not a good question. So ask. let me piggyback on that one, too, because I love that is what's happening and then partner that with how can I help? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And sometimes the hardest thing to listen is when they say you could leave me alone right now. Mm. That hurt. That that cuts. That stings. Deep. That yeah. hurts. Yeah. And they're telling me they need space right now. A young person is saying, I'm not ready yet. So I show them respect and I honor their process by giving them that space. Okay, I can leave you alone. Should we check back in 10 minutes? That way we both have time. Mm-hmm. And normalize that I need that time too. So I love the, you know what I mean? Bringing those two together is what's yeah. happening and how can I help? Yeah. Well, and I, I don't know that I had really necessarily thought until you said at the very beginning, Chase, about how quickly for teens, it's no longer a choice. Right. It, has, it, it becomes an addiction. And so normalizing that and how you approach that, it, there comes a point where it's out of their control. So we have to love them through that and help them get back in control, thinking about it in terms of that they are are choosing that behavior may no longer be the case yeah. at, at very, much more quickly than probably any of us realize. Something that's been helpful for me to try and just gather my my mind around that concept from a personal context and you know members of my own family who struggle with substance use is the concept of symptomatic behaviors because behaviors they feel moral right good guys and bad guys mm. good things and bad things good ideas and bad ideas like it's all very moralized but when it comes to substance use and you start losing that ability to choose you have symptomatic behaviors that are symptoms of what's happening internally that have very negative social and interpersonal repercussions and that's helped me to be I guess more gracious. Sure. Lack of a better way yeah. to put it. Yeah. I think that's a really great way to think about it because substance um, use, abuse, and addiction are often kind of that. In, there's an invisible component to it, right? right? You can't see the underlying causes. You can't see the hurt. You can't feel the pain. Um, and it's different than empathizing with somebody who has a broken arm or a broken leg. I can physically see that you're in a cast, and I understand that that hurts. With something like substances, it's hard for me to understand where your hurt is coming from, and so it gets back into kind of that binary like good bad right wrong and that stigmatizing and that othering so thinking about things symptomatically this is a symptom of what's going on and this is how it is presenting kind of helps people connect into what that other person is going through so let's switch gears a little bit sam and and talk about you know we're we're really fortunate in avon to have you and our team of school resource officers that are supporting our kids and supporting our staff in, yeah. in navigating this. So talk a little bit about what, what role the SROs play in supporting our students. Thank you. Yeah, the uh, I think I think the main thing to think about with SROs is uh, and, and some of the differences that you'll see is uh, if a road officer said say they find somebody in possession of, of uh, some opiates, uh, well they take possession of those opiates, they'd arrest that person, person either go to jail or be or be cited into court uh, and go on about their day, and you may never run into that person again. Uh, with SROs, we are so invested in the lives of our of our kids day in and day out. You know, even if that kid is has some time away from school because of some behaviors that they had, they're going to be back next week, next month, next school year. We're invested in that kid from from kindergarten into 12th grade. And so while we do enforcement, and that is part of our job, the two other the two other parts of that triad from that we that we get from NASRO is that we are an instructor. You know, we we're able to get into classes and we're able to do some teaching um, as well as an informal counselor. You know, we don't have the same training Chase or Krista had, but we still, we can be a listening ear. We can be that 
trusted adult that maybe you just need to share some terrible things that are going on at home or with your friend group uh, and and we can be that person I don't have to share that as long as it's not a danger danger to, to you or to others I can just be that trusted adult for you mm-hmm. kind of going back to what Krista what you had said earlier the the importance of trusted adults and that's been a focus for us as we've increased our number of counselors increased our number of social workers had teachers with lower class sizes all of that really because we know anybody whether it's the SRO the custodian the bus driver the counselor could be that trusted an adult for a student that that they're going to feel comfortable talking with that maybe they wouldn't with someone else so the the SROs are doing things every day to get to know our kids Absolutely. and and I think the distinction you made of the difference between just an officer who's doing really great things on on the street but our ours are specifically trained in how to support that with kids is, Absolutely. is powerful so it's not uncommon for parents to be caught off guard when they learn that their kids maybe are, are engaging in harmful behaviors. And Krista, you kind of said part of that is figuring out that transition from childhood to adulthood and those a- adolescent years are hard for all of us. Mm-hmm. I would never want to go back <laughs> to middle school uh, for, for myself personally. So same. I want to... <laughs> Super same. Super same, yes. <laughs> there are a lot of times I would go back to. Middle school is not one of them. So I want to ask a few questions to help us, and and you've already touched on this, but to help us as parents, educators, and and just anybody else who who might be listening. So I want them to kind of know what to look for in their own children, what drug trends are currently occurring in our community, and what can they do if they have um, or, or if they suspect that there's some kind of a problem. So let's start with just kind of broad. What are some of the, the drugs that you're seeing that are most prevalent specifically among teenagers? I think the, the easiest one to say is just vaping, whether it's nicotine or THC. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're just, I mean, it's it's more common than not, I would say. I'd say you'd almost be, I, th- I think that parents would probably be shocked at the number of kids that are. And it's, and it's kids that get good grades and kids that get good bad grades and kids that get in trouble at school. School, kids that don't get in trouble at school. It's not. It's not a socioeconomic thing. It's uh, vaping has become the thing to do, and kids have gotten better and better about sneaking sneaking them in and hiding them. And and so we've got to do better as adults to really have those conversations with kids at a younger and younger age because we're seeing them at younger and younger classes. We're seeing fifth and sixth graders with 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 vapes. And so that's we need to address that in elementary school and make sure kids understand that they're harming their bodies and sometimes some irreparable ways. Uh, their lungs are developing and that's a problem. Can you explain the difference between a vape that is nicotine and a vape that is THC for somebody who maybe hasn't ever heard that Sure. So nicotine, obviously, you're talking about what the, the the drug from cigarettes, and so that's it's similar to that. And so there's so many brands out there, but in general, one vape is about a pack or two of cigarettes. And so if you go through a, a vape a day, you're going through a pack or two cigarettes a day worth of nicotine. THC, however, is the the, the drug that's in marijuana, and so uh, we're talking about a a drug that's a uh, more impactful um, to to your to your child, depending on the percentage. Um, a lot of times you think, oh, marijuana is not that big a deal. Well, the marijuana in the '60s was was maybe you know 10% pure. We're talking about 98, 99% pure THC now. The kids are getting their hands on. We're seeing kids that they take their first puff and they're almost passing out from it. They're not they're not ready for that drug to affect them. And this is not something that is unique to Avon or unique to Hendricks County. This no, is this is definitely nationwide. nationwide. And so um, obviously in Indiana, vapes are illegal. So people just buy them online from California. They get shipped in and they sell them to their friends and their family. And you know you can you can find them 
you can find them if you want them, basically. Someone had sent me a, a clip from the Today Show, I believe, that was a classroom setup where they brought in administrators, they brought in parents, they brought in people who are, you know, kind of know what they're supposed to be looking for. Mm-hmm. And the number of vapes that were hidden in this kind of simulation around the room was staggering. And I think I know what I'm looking for. Our right. principals think they know what the, but they, the manufacturers have gotten so creative that it could be the hood from a sweat or what appears to be the hood from a sweatshirt, or it could be what appears to be a highlighter on a desk. And they had all of these hidden vapes that so many of these trained professionals missed looking around the room that sometimes it's, you don't even know what you're looking for. Yeah. And anymore, I mean, when, when vapes first kind of became popular, you'd have the real large battery and the refillable reservoir, and that's still around. But, but anymore, the amount of vapor that's actually exhaled is so small that, yeah, kids can do that. Down, you exhale down the uh, sleeve of their hoodie or just, just any, any number of places. You can do it in, in the middle of class. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's happening. I actually brought some data along just yeah. in case any parents would be interested in prevalence. So I'll start with Indiana and then focus and zoom in on Hendricks County. So uh, 19.8% of Indiana students, both high school and middle school, currently smoke or vape regularly. About 20.6% currently drink alcohol. About 15% currently use marijuana or cannabis, and that's primarily vaped. Uh, And then about 17% have used a pill that's not prescribed to them or differently than prescribed. When you zoom in on those same data uh, for Hendricks County specifically... Um, for like however many high schoolers have tried it, they're not regularly using, but they've just tried it once. About 34% of high schoolers in Hendricks County have tried any tobacco product, mostly vaping, and 11% of middle schoolers have tried it. As far as the percentage of those that are actually using it regularly, it's 13% of high schoolers and only 4% of middle schoolers. I think it's safe to say that's probably an undercount, mm-hmm. um, but it does give me some hope. Uh, mm-hmm. It gives me hope in the fact that, that that means there's 96% of middle schoolers that are likely not using these products yet, mm-hmm. not regularly. Maybe they've tried it, but they're not using it. And there's you know 87% of high schoolers that aren't using it regularly. They haven't built that addictive pathway mm-hmm. yet. And that gives me a lot of hope. That means there's still time, mm-hmm. right, to intervene as parents and educators. So I think that's important. And it also makes me think, and Sam, you kind of said this earlier, educating our elementary students, educating our middle school students. While 4% is not good at middle school, that's definitely better than when they make that transition to high school. How right. do we yeah. capture that at middle yeah, school I mean, and do it, some of that education? I mean, 10 years ago when I started in school policing, we were focused on eighth graders because that's, as yeah. long as, hey, as long as we can keep these eighth graders from, from getting a hold of these things, we'll be good. Yeah. Well, we're just younger and younger. Just like cell phones are younger and younger, the drugs are younger and younger. Mm-hmm. So it's definitely important for us to, to focus um, on younger generations so that they don't take those risky chances early. Yeah. yeah. So if a parent had concerns about drug use uh, among their child, where do they even start? So, you know, Krista, you gave some some good starter questions and how we can do that in non kind of confrontational or, or judgmental ways. What are some other things that as parents, if, if we're concerned, where do we even begin if, if we're concerned about that drug use? Sure. I'll hop in and share a couple yep. and you can follow up with <laughs> me. I'm you. sure it'll spring some. Uh, so Krista started by, by really honing in on the safety and connection piece, which we know from brain development research that safety and connection are the two most important things a kid needs as they're developing to prevent stress or trauma, or at least build resilience against stress or trauma, because some of that's outside of your control. Things are going to happen at school or on the baseball diamond or whatever that you, you're not responsible for, but you can still help them manage that in a healthy way by building safety and connection. So how do I do that? How do I build safety and connection with my kids? It starts by modeling respect and empathy, which seems 
almost simplistically intuitive, right? But we are not always respectful to our kids. And they're not always respectful to us. Don't get me wrong. I've got a two and a half year old <laughs> and she will yell at me, man. She will yell and scream. The terrible twos are real. Names. They yes. are. Yeah. And it's hard not to get triggered as an adult and want to yell back. I gotta defend myself, you know, I gotta teach her a lesson. Like that's a natural response. Right? But if we can model what we want our kids to do. That is huge in earning their trust, right? Speaking in a way that is um, even-toned, calm, just like we're speaking now, as opposed to raising your voice Mm -hmm. and catching yourself when you do. And if you do raise your voice, apologizing. It's possible for parents to apologize to their kids when you're out of line, right? Noticing your own body language, right? Y'all can't see us in the room, but if I'm like this, Mm -hmm. crossing my arms and like wagging my finger and cornering them in their bedroom, the only thing that child's brain is thinking is how do I survive this, mm-hmm. right? They're not thinking about what you're saying. It's just how, how do I survive this moment? As opposed to like, you know, open-handed, sitting down next to them, shoulders facing them, not wagging fingers. And then of course, word choice is important, right? We don't, we don't use words that are really stigmatizing and mean to our kids. We're not going to call them potheads or junkies. You want to turn out like this or you want to turn out like Uncle Joe? Like that doesn't help. That just shames them like, like Chris was mentioning. Um, I think another really great tool is is using risk versus reward language as opposed to ultimatum language. So typically when there's a first offense, you'll you'll want or you'll feel naturally led to say something like, if I catch you doing something like this, then blank, then you'll lose your cell phone, then you'll this or that. That is just ultimatum language. Whereas if we talk about risk versus reward language, it's like, if you keep doing this, these things could happen to your body. Mm-hmm. These things could happen to your interaction with your teammates on your school team if you get caught on a drug screen. These things could happen in our relationship. Right? These are, these are real risks to your social identity here. Right? If you stop using or if you are talking to me more about your mental health or your stress or what have you, these are the rewards that could come to that. I could actually get you some help. Our insurance could actually help pay for things like counseling, which I'll I'll come with you to if you want some support in that. Talking about those risks and rewards is a lot easier to hear than the the shame and the anger. Yeah. I'll pass the ball to Krista. Well, and what you were saying, Chase, I think is super important and goes back to what you were saying earlier about um, some of these things are symptomatic expressions of what's going on. So shaming or punishing for a symptom of, you know, you're not getting to the root cause or what really led somebody to this point here. You're going to drive that behavior more underground. So um, in terms of resources, too, you know, what what caused this, what caused us to get to this point? And we can talk about, you know, there do need to be consequences for unhealthy choices or unsafe choices. Right. And they might not love what those look like. And that's part of what it is. Get caught speeding. You're going to get a ticket. You're going to pay that money. Right. Like there there are pieces of that. But what got us here? Because that's where, you know, we have a chance to do some of that, you know, where the education can land, where those moments can connect. And we can try to give them a different pathway moving forward. You know, one of the challenges is when we establish a pathway in our brain, now we have to find a new way. So um, the good news is we can, um, you know, thanks to neuroplasticity, our brains are capable of changing. You can teach old dogs new tricks. Like it is a thing. Um, It's just hard. And you're going to encounter barriers and challenges and bumps when you do that. And so if you were using because you were self-medicating because you're very anxious and this helped you feel more mellow and, you know, made you you a little more easy to be around, we need to talk about what's causing that anxiety. How is that showing up for you? And then do the hard work of sitting with anxious feelings and, you know, practicing those skills. And the tricky thing is practicing that skill development takes time. 
whereas a substance hits quick. Quick, yeah. So, you know what I mean? You have to understand the pacing of recovery and the pacing of progress there. Celebrate where you can, but understand this is now a long journey that we might be Mm -hmm. on together. Um, and, And... we're going to walk with you. We're not going to leave you alone in that. So it's going back to that idea of symptomatic expressions, looking for resources and help. I always encourage people to talk to their primary care provider or their pediatrician as well. Because first and foremost is we have to address the physical, then we can get to the mental, right? We have to talk about what's going on in your body. Because if you are have been on a substance for a while, you're going to have some withdrawal pieces. Mm-hmm. We need to know what that's going to look like. I, we need to understand how that's going to show up for us and be prepared to respond to that. Then we got Then we can get to the mental part of it. So physical first, then mental. So always bringing in that PCP or the pediatrician um, to really help talk about what's happening in my body, to be ready to talk about what's going to happen in my mind. Well, and that was one of my questions. And uh, Chase, I, I, I don't know if you would say the same thing that Krista said is, you know, if a parent finds out that their child is using something, should their first call to get connected with community resources be to their primary doctor? Should it be to a community, some community agency? Or where do you suggest? Or is it the same as what Krista said? Start with your primary care doctor? Yeah, I, I, at the risk of um, using blanket statements, I think that's a good way to start, yeah. right? I think regardless of context, your pediatrician as long as you've been taking this kid to those appointments throughout their life, mm-hmm. is going to have the biggest and most knowledgeable history mm-hmm. of this little person's health. Okay. Um, so that's a great place to start. But there are also people like Krista, like Officer Leahy, who <laughs> are good front-of-the-line people. Mm-hmm. So if you're, like, not sure or if your doctor says, well, I recommend you take your kid to counseling. Like, okay, well, thanks, Doc. <laughs> right? Like, Now where do I go? Yeah. Go go here next, right? Go to, to the people that are already invested in your kid's life that are, are sort of that first line of intervention. Um, who are prepared to, to help and make those community referrals outside of the school district when it comes to things like treatment, therapy, and counseling. Yeah. Well, and police can be can be your first call. I mean, if you if you especially if you feel like your your child has a connection with an officer or you as a parent have a connection with an officer, there's nothing wrong with reaching out and saying, "Hey, uh, we found this today. We're blindsided. I don't have to come to your house and lock your kid up, mm, right. but but we can have the conversations about just kind of like what you were saying. Hey, if you continue down this path, uh, if you can, these sort of things can happen. If you can continue to, to to vape or if it's or if they've moved on to pills which we really didn't touch on earlier but we probably should to speak about a little bit but if you're using pills um, how quickly those neural pathways change on a pill versus versus something like marijuana or something else these are things going to happen to you I mean it could be incarceration it can be you know losses of scholarships or op- job opportunities um, and ultimately it can be death I mean we, we know that's the the you know the ult- the ultimate penalty for for uh, substance abuse so the SROs are great about having that conversation without yeah. it becoming fear mongering yeah because right? that's another way yeah. where like kids just turn off and are like oh, okay it's just like just like their program when I was little you know yeah. but it's like SROs like like play yeah. are great at having that risk versus reward conversation because they actually do see adult clients that are struggling with these things and there's a way that they can connect with those kids that sometimes you as a parent might not be able to so Sam you just kind of segued into my next question so we've talked about THC we've talked about vapes but we haven't talked as much about pills so talk about kind of what you're seeing and and knowing that there's also a huge concern that sometimes those pills that kids think are one thing are actually laced with something else like fentanyl so talk about what signs parents or teachers should be looking for when when maybe it's transitioned into something even more significant looking at some of the pills that's that that students or adults are taking i was going to say i'm going to let you jump on this first i think you have a good working knowledge what's going on in the street these days yeah unfortunately i think the first thing i I would say to parents is 85 to 95 percent of pills 
that are purchased illegally are laced with something else. Same for powders, right? 85 to 95%. That's most things that your kid might get a hold of or an adult could get a hold of illegally without a prescription are going to be laced with something else. And that something else, nine times out of 10, is fentanyl these days mm. because it's incredibly cheap to produce. You can make it in a home lab and it's really, really, really potent. Mm. The slogan that the state's been using is one pill can kill. Mm. And that's that's quite frankly very true, biochemically speaking, um, because when it comes to opioids like fentanyl or heroin or some of the ones you might be more familiar with as an adult with medical issues of your own, like Percocet, Oxycodone, Vicodin, Norco, and some of those others, they affect the areas of your brain responsible for breathing and heart rate, which are important for what? Life. Being alive. Yes. alive. Right? Yeah. So they depress your breathing rate and your heart rate. And if you get too much of that or an incredibly potent version of that, like fentanyl, that's when we start seeing drug poisoning happening. And I did want to take the opportunity to differentiate between drug poisoning and overdose. Overdose is when you take a medication wrong that's been prescribed to you. You got too much of something that's been dosed to you. Drug poisoning is when you're using something wrong intentionally or when you're using something that doesn't belong to you or that you've purchased illegally. And we have a lot of people who unfortunately are, are, are dying by drug poisoning. And one of the best ways you can, you can notice this is honestly sleepiness, nodding out. Like if your kid is spending a lot of time asleep when they normally wouldn't be, that could be a sign that they're using something that's depressing those areas of their brain. Um, if they're having a hard time focusing in school or on you or on their friends, friends during conversation, this isolation piece that we sort of kicked off the conversation with, all of these are tattletale signs of opioid use. Uh, but when it comes to drug poisoning, there's a whole other variety of you know, common signs and symptoms. Things like slow heart rate, very low breathing, or they might go unconscious and stop breathing. If they're not getting enough oxygen, you might have some blue, um, some blue color to their nail beds or to their lips. Um, another tattletale sign of drug poisoning is um, pinpoint pupils. So you, you think with like uh, like alcohol or cannabis, typically your eyes get real big, mm -hmm. right? But when it comes to um, to opioids, they get pinpoint small when you get too much of them, which it, it's unnatural looking. It is. It doesn't look right. So you'll know when you see it. And in that case, the best thing you can have on hand is Narcan, mm -hmm. which is an opioid overdose or opioid drug poisoning reversal medication. All the schools have them. Our SROs have them. The school nurses have them. There are three locations in Henders County where you can get it for free 24-7. And the closest one in Avon would be over at Journey Church in mm -hmm. Prestwick. They have one stationed right outside their front door where you can go get that as a concerned parent or community member just to keep in your purse or briefcase or glove compartment in your car. You can also get them at Overdose lifeline.org. You can right. order your own um, so you can keep them. Um, the only thing that uh, I learned recently about those is they're very similar to EpiPens. So if you have a food allergy, these are um, temperature sensitive. So you don't want to leave them in your car when it's really hot outside. They do have a temperature range that you want them mm. to stay within. Mm. And it's worth just like an EpiPen thinking about carrying multiple because um, you may need multiple doses once the first one wears off. Just like with an EpiPen, they have you carry two because it 15 minutes, you may have a relapse in your symptoms. Same thing with this. So you, there are lots of ways that people can keep them on as a preventative. Nothing bad happens if you take it and you didn't need it. There's no ill effects to that. There are serious ramifications if you don't have it available for somebody who's in crisis, though. I mean, uh, we are seeing other drugs laced in, though, as well right now that are not responsive to Narcan. Mm -hmm. uh, most, the most uh, popular one right now is Zizaline, which is a which is an animal tranquilizer, and it does not respond to Narcan. And so if someone was to consume that, it, it, again, it's, it, it's controlling heart
heart rate, heart rate, it's controlling controlling pulse, and so it's designed for animals much larger than humans, uh, and so that makes it even scarier. And it's the point of this isn't to scare people, but just to be aware that it's so important to know what's going on with your kids, and so to have those conversations and the way that that, that Chase and Krista have talked about the way to approach your kids. If you're seeing any changes at all, I mean. Obviously, we know teenagers change behavior, but it's it's so important to, to really to really notice that. Another thing that I wanted to mention was when we were talking about the different the different signs. I heard of a guardian that said, "Oh, well, you know, he he gets food poisoning a couple of times a week." Well, no, that was withdrawal from the opioids. Mm. When he was when he mm. wasn't on his opioids, he was he was acting like he had food nausea poisoning because vomiting. nausea and vomiting because yeah. that was a that was the response to hadn't gotten the fix from the opioid. I know it's a lot. I know, but you said at the beginning we're. We're talking about a pretty heavy sub- yeah. subject today. Right. So as we kind of wrap up here, is there anything else that you feel like is important for parents or, or teachers to know that we haven't already covered? I think the concept that uh, that prevention is the best intervention, you don't have to wait until it's a problem for your kid mm-hmm. to intervene. Um uh, there's a perpetual struggle, especially for parents of approximately 16-year-olds. How do I connect with my kid? <laughs> and uh, there was a great podcast episode from our colleagues over at Care to Change just a couple of weeks ago where they interviewed a 16-year-old. Mm-hmm. And uh, this particular student said, I just want to have fun with my parents. Mm-hmm. I want to do some fun things. Mm-hmm. Take me to the game, right? Don't take me to coffee to talk because I know that's going to get serious <laughs> fast and I don't want to do it, <laughs> right? Like I want to do things with you. And yeah. that's how we can earn that trust and earn that, I guess, relational equity, if you will, to have the hard conversations when it's time to. So you might not think of taking your kid to the movies or the ball game or having a fun dinner out or whatever as a prevention method, but it absolutely but it is. is. Like yeah. Those things matter. Having a relationship with your kid that is built around safety, connection, fun experiences together will prevent things from getting worse because they're more likely to reach out for help when they mm-hmm. need it. And those experiences don't have to, I know sometimes for families, um, those things can be cost prohibitive. Right. Like that that gets to be expensive fast. Um, Even just going for a walk with your young person. What I love about going for a walk with somebody or going for a drive with somebody is that you're not staring in their eyeballs the whole time. You guys are actually looking in the same direction and your bodies are moving together. And when it's less intense and when our bodies sync up, it helps our brains sync up with one another. So um, and and going on with what Chase said about the the early intervention and prevention um, is, you know, helping kids. Uh, identify and regulate some of those challenging emotions that they're going to be experiencing because we all are going to experience those that, that they are, our feelings are valid we all have them everybody gets mad it's how we respond to mad that matters and how we practice responding to mad how that matters so it doesn't have me you know lashing out physically I'm, I'm, I'm using those safer skills right those healthier coping skills we've talked about a lot of different things that we can do as adults what is uh, the one thing that you would uh, would would wish that we as adults either know or do after this after listening to this I want adults to know that the single biggest protective factor for a young person is having one caring, supportive relationship with an adult. There's not a lot I can do about the challenges that you are going to face in your life before you come to school or the things that happen in your home. There are pieces, but I can't. Con- I, I have very little influence over that. But the single greatest protective factor that we can provide to our young per- our young people is at least one supportive, caring relationship with a grown-up. Mm-hmm. And by people being able to accept, you know, suspend their judgment, listen, check your ego, 
It's not about you. It's about the person who's talking to you right now and trusting you with their story and trusting you with their information. The more protective adults we can put around kids, the healthier our kids are going to be. I would just say that, you know, as far as as far as leveraging your SROs uh, within the buildings, I mean, we really are here to support parents as much as we are kids. And so if you're not sure, ask. I I, uh, I joke. I have a 14 year old and I and I have to say to myself sometimes, oh, well, I have never seen my kid act this way, but I've literally seen thousands and thousands of 14 year olds act this way. And I realize <laughs> so there's some of those are things that just come with age. Yeah. Uh, but whether it's um, concern about drugs or other things that just going on with your kid, connect with your SROs. We're, we're, we're there to be a resource to parents just as much as we are to kids. The only thing I would add is, is it's okay to trust others. There's a lot of vitriol just sort of targeted at schools in general and the employees thereof. I mean, I just advocate that it's, it's okay to trust others. There's a whole team of people on this podcast right now that love your kids, that love your kids. And not all of us even work for the school. Some of us are working for other businesses and organizations. <laughs> and it's like, we love your kids and we want them to be healthy and happy and, and have a, you know, a thriving life. So please don't let the vitriol get to you. Trust those that also want to be part of your village. Yeah. Yeah, 1,700 employees in Avon schools. They could be working anywhere. They all picked a job where they get to work with kids. So yeah. they're here because they love what they're doing, and, and I think that's a great point, Chase. So, you know, I was thinking as you were talking just the um, first off how thankful I am for all three of you for being here. Sam and Christopher, what you do every day in our schools with our, our staff and our kids, and then Chase bringing that community connection in that, that you do. I'm, I'm thankful to be in a school district with resources like this and community partners um, like Chase that that we can tackle these difficult issues. and But then also I was struck by, you know, thinking when I was in high school, it was cigarettes and alcohol. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what I would hear about. That's what you would hear about this party or that party or, or whatever. The stakes are so much higher now for kids. And that's what it's, it's just staggering to me that it was hard when I was in high school when right. you, when, with some of those temptations that were out there or those choices that you had to make, am I going to go to that party or am I not? And hope you make the right decision. And I know my parents were hoping I made the right decision. <laughs> Right. But the stakes are so much higher with what our kids are exposed to. So I uh, appreciate you all and what you do to support our kids and support our community. And um, I think it's clear that the three of you are resources that if parents have concerns to reach out to yeah, or teachers do. have concerns to reach out and, uh, and try to get as much support as we can around our kids. So thanks again for all that you do. And thanks for tuning in. Thank you. Thanks. You've been listening to Orioles in the Know with Avon Community School Corporation Superintendent Dr. Scott Windham. Subscribe to Orioles in the Know on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. While you're there, please help us by leaving a positive rating or review. Follow Dr. Windham on Twitter at A-V-O-N-S-U-P-T. Visit our website at avon-schools.org or call us at 317-544-6000. This has been an Avon Schools production. Go Orioles!